0: Do you find yourself saying you're too busy for Bible study? No more excuses. Now there's a way for you to participate in a 30-minute study from your phone, tablet, or computer from anywhere around the world. Aaron Olson of Sandalfeet Ministries teaches lunchtime lessons via Facebook Live every Thursday at 12 p.m. Central Standard Time at facebook.com sandalfeet. This podcast is recorded during the Facebook Live event for those who'd like to listen to the teaching again or help out in case you miss a week. So grab your lunch, your Bible, and a notepad before we begin. If you'd like to get Aaron's teaching notes, you can visit sandalfeet.org and click on Books and Bible Studies to see all the available free Bible study material. Hey, thanks for listening today, and we hope you tune in each week for Lunchtime Lessons. Well, hello, and happy Thursday to you. I don't know about you, but my weeks go by incredibly fast, and I cannot believe that it's already Thursday again, but here we are, uh, Thursday lunchtime lessons. Thank you so much for joining me today. I know uh, we are now in the fifth chapter of the letter to Timothy, the first letter to Timothy, and I hope by now, if you've been following along, um, either reading the notes, listening to the podcast, or watching these live events, that you are getting a sense that even though this letter from Paul to Timothy was written close to 2,000 years ago, it still applies to us today. I mean, there's some general differences um, historically in our current cultural context, but the foundations that Paul laid in this letter to Timothy apply to us. And I think we know why. This letter is a letter to, to Timothy telling Timothy what it looks like for a healthy, vibrant church. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, a healthy, vibrant church is critically important for me, uh, for for my life, for my family, for uh, my community. All of that is life-giving. And I think that healthy churches are able to share the gospel better, They're able to provide for their community better, for their family members, if you will, their church members. And they're also the best possible witness for the gospel uh, locally, nationally, and around the world. So when we say that these are letters uh, that are written to the early church, these are written to us today. And I know as we dig into them, what they mean in the context of what was going on in Ephesus, for instance, that um, some of the things don't make any sense. Um, And and today we're gonna talk about widows and what that looks like um, and and how that can apply to us today because back then it was a little bit different. But when we look at all of those things in their totality, we see that Paul was just telling them, this is what it is. And and remember in 1 Timothy 3.15, that verse sets the framework for the entire letter. And Paul wrote Timothy and said, "'You will know how people must conduct themselves "'in the household of God, this is the Church of the Living God. This is us today. We are the Church of the Living God, and this is the pillar and foundation of truth. So when people look at us as the Church, who the Holy Spirit resides within us, we are little Christ. Uh, we are the Church, whether we're not, whether we're inside the four walls of the Church or outside the four walls, are we a pillar and foundation of truth? When people, look at, when people look at me and when people look at you, do they look at somebody who is the Bible alive and, and present? Are you walking out the New Testament? Are you living out the New Testament? Um, are you leading people to the gospel or are you so that um, people are repelled by you and then in, in return the gospel? Uh, we never wanna be repellents, we wanna be attractants for Jesus. And so we'll get into the, the, the word today. Um, I'm going to do things a little bit differently in this chapter because this chapter is broken up into three distinct sections. So instead of reading the entire uh, chapter all in its totality at one time, I'm going to read it in sections so it makes sense so we can talk about them as they come about. Um, otherwise, you'll forget what was said in verse one when we get towards the end of the chapter. So. Uh, Let me pray, and then I am going to read, and then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, thank you so much, Lord, just for this opportunity to teach your word. Lord, as we sit here together, Lord, may our distractions be removed. And Father, may we see you in every single word in these verses. Lord, we know that you had a reason for Paul writing this letter to Timothy that would be bound up in this Bible that we know today, Lord, for us, to know how to conduct ourselves as the church of the living God. So Father, I pray that you would open our eyes and our hearts to your word today, Lord, how it applies to us today, what it meant for them back then, um, and what it means for each one of us individually and collectively as the family of God. So Father, we thank you again for this time and we pray that the Holy Spirit is ever present, speaking through me, Lord, uh, teaching through me, uh, not my words, but yours. During these next few minutes and we pray these things in Jesus name amen all right so we're gonna get into the first section of chapter 5 in verse 1 it starts out never speak harshly to an older man but appeal to him respectfully as you would to your own father talk to younger men as you would to your own brothers treat older women as you would your mother and treat younger women with all purity as you would your own sisters now this seems pretty straightforward, right? Uh, Paul is writing to Timothy. Timothy is a younger man. Remember, he's in his 30s, and so Paul's just reminding them, never reminding him never to speak harshly to an older person. Uh, treat a younger person as you would your a brother. Uh, speak to a woman as you would your mother, and speak to a young woman as you would a sister. Now remember, in this culture, in that Roman culture, we spoke about it last week that. They put high value on a good structure within the family household. When the family was working properly, government was working properly. Everything was going smoothly. Um, When there was discord in a home, there would be discord in the community. And and the Roman government didn't want that. Um, And so here, Paul is reminding Timothy, listen, don't speak harshly to an older person. Uh, Treat them with respect. Treat them with reverence. Uh, They are who they are, Um, even if it's somebody who's not making good choices, even if it's somebody who is um, not on your pay grade, if you will, in today's society. uh, But just speak to them, speak to them kindly. Uh, One of the fruits of the Spirit is kindness and gentleness and humility. So address people with that, whether they're older than you or younger than you. Now, I'll put this in context, though, that we can't be so familiar that we treat each other like we do our immediate family members, because sometimes we don't treat them well, whether it's your parents not treating you well, or siblings not treating you well, or you not treating your siblings well, or we think that that's just how we treat our siblings. That's not necessarily the case. We should all treat each other with respect and kindness. Um, and love, obviously. Jesus said to love one another. And So, um, we need to be respectful of those above us and below us in age, uh, is what he's saying here. And also, too, when he speaks about mothers and, and uh, women as mothers and younger women as sisters, you know, there, there's some tension always within the body of Christ. Who are we allowed to talk to? Who are we not allowed to talk to? And if we just started seeing each other truly in, in And honestly, as brothers and sisters in Christ, there would be so many less issues within the church. Um, You know, when married women talk to a married man or uh, not their spouse, or when single men are talking to single young women, um, what are their motives? You know, just treat them as you would want somebody to treat your sister, as you would want somebody to treat your brother or your mother. Um, Treat them with care and respect and, and uphold them and their position and the calling that God has on their life. If we could do that and, and just stop uh, treating people differently because of whether or not they're a man or a woman or what their position is or what their age is, but just kind of treat everybody respectfully, the church would function much better. Um, and I think each one of us would feel better about the words that we speak to others, and we'd feel better about ourselves in the way that people speak to us. So that's the first two verses. Um, they're pretty straightforward. And um, but Jesus said in John thirteen thirty five that people would know his disciples, which is us today, by how we love people. So if we can't love people within our church, how in the world are we going to love people without outside the church? If we can't treat people kindly and respectfully within our church, there's just no way that we can treat them kindly outside the church. And if we do one but not the other, we really are hypocrites and we really need to be careful of not doing that. Um, It's not right, and it's not godly, and Jesus does not want us to do that. He wants us to love others. The next verses, verses 3 through 16, they talk about widows. Paul spends a lot of time talking about the care of widows. Um, He cared about them. We talk about how we can take care of those in our church who need to be taken care of, and he specifically calls out widows Now, widows in in the first century church, they would not have had a lot of care if they didn't have family members. If nobody was willing to take care of them, they were really left on their own. And Paul was saying, we cannot be like that church. We need to take care of our people. And God, in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, took care of widows. And in James 1, 27, he actually commands us, his people to take care of widows and orphans. So Paul is reminding Timothy, listen, we're gonna be different. This new church that we're setting up in that very affluent, hostile toward Christianity, pagan culture, Um, we're going to be different. We're going to look different. We're going to love each other well. We're going to treat each other respectfully. Uh, We're going to live godly lives. We're going to be pure. We're not going to be like those who we live among. We're going to share the gospel, and we're going to care for widows. They didn't do that. The, The Romans, they didn't do that. They didn't care for their widows. So Paul kind of categorizes here the order in what should take place. So Verses uh, um, verses 3 through 16 read, Take care of any widow who has no one else to care for her. But if she has children or grandchildren, their first responsibility is to show godliness at home and repay their parents by taking care of them. You know, there's, there's hardly any way that we can really repay our parents by the great way that they take care of us. Uh, just for so many years, they provide food for us and shelter, clothing, uh, extracurricular activities, whatever it may be. I mean, we, can we really repay our parents for what they've done for us? Um, and this is something that pleases God. Now, a true widow, a woman who is truly alone in this world, has placed her hope in God. She prays night and day, asking God for his help. But the widow who lives only for pleasure is spiritually dead, even while she lives. Give these instructions to the church so that no one will be open to criticism. But those who won't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household, have denied the true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. A widow who is put on the list for support must be a woman who is at least 60 years old and was faithful to her husband. She must be well respected by everyone because of the good she has done. Has she brought up her children well? Has she been kind to strangers and served other believers humbly? Has she helped those who are in trouble? Has she always been ready to do good? The younger widows should not be on the list because their physical desires will overpower the devotion to Christ and they will want to remarry. Then they would be guilty of breaking their previous pledge. And if they are on the list, they will learn to be lazy and they will spend their time gossiping from house to house, meddling in other people's business and talking about things they shouldn't. So I advise these younger widows to marry again, have children, and take care of their own homes. Then the enemy will not be able to say anything against them, for I am afraid that some of them have already gone astray, and now follow Satan. If a woman who is a believer has relatives who are widows, she must take care of them and not put the responsibility on the church. Then the church can care for the widows who are truly alone. Now Paul breaks it up here. He talks about who is a true widow uh, and who is not who is an older widow, and who is a younger widow. Now, Paul here is saying that a true widow is truly somebody who has no relatives that can care for her. Um, There's a distinction because Paul is saying that, listen, the church should not be burdened by widows if somebody else is alive in their family who will take care of them. We know historically in the context we've seen throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, um, with Ruth and Naomi for instance, where she took care of her mother-in-law, where people take them in, relatives, you know, oftentimes the brother of the deceased husband was asked to marry the wife so that they they could have children and bear the family name. Um, So there was was a, a duty to care that was already established in the Jewish society. And Paul was saying here, listen, It is a responsibility of a family member to care for a family member if they are in need. However, if a widow is a true widow, meaning they have no living relatives who can care for them, then the church should take care of them. Now, if we look at that statistically, the numbers are going to be much lower because there really are very few true widows, um, people who have absolutely nobody who can care for them. But Paul is pretty harsh here, right? He's saying basically that if you don't take care of of a family member, you're worse than an unbeliever. I mean, how bad is that? That is so bad that he's saying that if you don't care for a family member in need, you're worse than somebody who doesn't even believe in Jesus. I mean, that's harsh, Um, but that should cause us to take a step back and think, how am I caring for my family members? Am I caring for those who are in need? Am I checking on my family members who are widows? Um, Both within the church and without the church. Uh, We have a duty. We can do that. We don't have to rely on church resources per se, Um, but we as the church, as family members, the body of Christ, the household of God, we can be checking on our widows, our widowers. We can be making sure that they're being cared for, um, that their needs are being met. Now, back in that first century, church widows would look a lot different than our current widows. There weren't life insurance policies. There weren't retirement accounts. Um, there weren't, wasn't the ability for a woman, especially to get a job and provide for herself as well. And so um, what w- women have today in their disposal is a little different than what they had back then. But we need to really be looking out for those who are true widows. There's lots who are barely scraping by, that barely have food in their cupboard to eat. Um, and that's just a disgrace. And that does not please God. It says here that um, we need to take care of the widows. And if we have them, that they should we should repay our parents by taking care of them, our grandparents by taking care of them. And this is something that pleases God, Paul says. It's pleasing to him. Um, and then he goes on to talk about kind of what the difference between an older widow and a younger widow he really says that an older widow is somebody who's 60 years old and older and that he encourages the younger widows here to actually remarry and have children because if they don't they might make a they might make um, a pledge to say i'm going to be like anna the widow that we saw in the temple when mary and joseph brought jesus in for his dedication. And Anna was there and she was, had been in, she had been a widow for decades and she was a young widow who was now an older widow. Um, she'd been in the deck in the temple for decades, devoted to prayer and fasting. She had made that pledge, but what Paul is warning here that some younger widows, they might make that pledge, but then they'll give in to their fleshly desires and they'll want to remarry and they'll want to have children. And, and if they do that, then they're basically breaking their pledge to Christ. So he's saying, whoa, take a step back, younger widows. Be careful in what you pledge to Jesus. Be careful what you say you will do for God um, right now because you might remarry and then you'd no longer be a widow. You'd be taken care of. And so and then he's also concerned that there is this list, whether it's a support list, um a visitation list, whatever it might be, but there's a list. And so he's saying these older widows here can be put on this list. She must be at least 60 years old. And basically that's out of her prime, right? She's not having children anymore. Um, she doesn't have any family to take care of her. She's getting around a little bit more slowly, especially back then. Um, and so she could what she could do is she could devote herself to service of the lord she could devote herself to prayer and fasting i read one commentary by a um, a more modern pastor and he wrote about how listen we should put these older older widows on the payroll and we should plead with them to spend time in intercession for our church for our churches and how much more great of an impact would these servants these widows have for our churches than some of our young staff members who we pay a lot of money to that these women could be fervent in prayer because they're not bothered by things they're not distracted by raising children and these true widows these ones that were going on the list remember they didn't have family members so they weren't going to be visiting the grandchildren they weren't going to be taking care of babies. Um, they weren't going to be having to take care of sons and husbands. They were true widows who could spend their time being devoted to God through prayer, fasting, um, and counseling other women within the church. They had, a, you know a duty to also be of service to the church, that they could be useful in their widowhood. And that's what Paul's talking about here. He doesn't want these young widows, to get on this list, get some support, say they're gonna pray, but then they wanna remarry. And then if they're young and they're able-bodied, they might become busybodies and they might become gossips. And the reason Paul warns about this is because earlier in 1 Timothy 2, we talked about it was the younger widows who were causing some division within the church. They were causing some problems within the church. They were gossiping. Um, they were talking out. They were stirring up things. They were Some of them were false teaching themselves. And so Paul's saying, listen, if these young widows just get support from the church, if they just get some payments, if they just get some food, when they're able-bodied, they might become lazy. And he does not want them to become lazy. And because laziness is a sin, because you you have the potential to do something and you choose not to do it. And he doesn't want them gossiping. So he's saying, listen, you young ladies, you young widows, um, don't pledge to Christ that you'll do what the older widows can do. Um, And he also warns these older widows you know, here that remember Ephesus had some money. So some of these older widows here, if they had money, maybe they were more interested in doing things that were pleasurable than actually devoting themselves to God. And Paul said, no, I want you to live for God. I don't want you to be spiritually dead. I don't want you to live for the pleasures of this world. I want you to live for God. And I want these older widows to devote themselves to prayer and how much great, greater things could be accomplished through our church if we had um, our widows being utilized in this way. And it also gives them honor and gives them respect. It gives them a sense of doing um, and a sense of still having worth. Um, and that's important uh, for everybody, let alone a widow who is without resources. Now, now that doesn't mean that in our church today, just because our widows have 401k plans and in insurance accounts and all of that stuff that we should neglect them, we should still be taking care of our widows. So a practical application today is how are, how are you in the first section verses one and two, how are you interacting with people within your church family? Are you treating them respectfully? Are you uh, treating some nicer than others because of what you can get from them? or um, or how they treat you and respect you? Are you um, looking at them, how are you treating the opposite sex? Um, how are you talking with them? What is your motive? What is your heart? Are you speaking to them out of a pure heart? Um, and then for our widows, how are we caring for our widows? Are we using them in service? Are we honoring them? Um, what are we doing for them? Um, and, and personally, how are you caring for widows within your own family? Um, are you taking care of your family members? It's important for us to take care of our family members. I know a lot of times Americans, we are so quick uh, to push our kids out of the house when they turn 18. We're like, yes, the door's open. Go fly now. Here's your wings. But many cultures, generations live together. And so we've got to be careful not to neglect our family for our own sake and our own comforts because that's not the way that god designed it god designed it for us to care for one another whether that be within our own immediate families or within our church families and if what we're modeling in our immediate family is not the same as our church family we're doing something wrong because we can't do one thing here and one thing there it needs to be cohesive for us to be people who can be uh believed and respected um, we can't say one thing and do another that's just not going to work and eventually that witness will catch up in the next section he talks about okay how do we treat now our elders he talks here in verse 17 and um, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but he talks about rewarding and disciplining church elders. Now, remember, these elders were the pastors of the church. And so he says in verse 17, he makes it, Elders who do their work well should be respected and paid well, especially those who work hard at both preaching and teaching. So he's saying, pay these people well, he's saying to respect them, to honor them. Because remember, if a leader is doing his job well, if he is doing his job good, like good is not good how we envision, you have to separate the secular from the the religious here, okay, the spiritual. The, the way that we view secular leaders as good is not the same that we view religious leaders as good. Good religious leaders, a good pastor, is someone who is filled with goodness and rightness and um, fruit, one who's bearing great fruit, holiness, and kindness, and love, and all of those things. Now, someone who's doing a good job as a CEO, he could be ruthless, and he could be totally non-loving, and he could be the one that you one day hope to be, but you know that you're gonna have to step on some people to get there. That's not how we should view our leaders, and that's not how we should reward them. We should reward our leaders within the church, our pastors within the church Church for pastors who work hard, for pastors who diligently learn scripture, dig into scripture, spend time in prayer, um, that they preach the word of God and that they teach the word of God. They don't just speak at you, they speak to you. And there's a difference. And so Paul's saying, for these leaders, we should honor them. It's a double honor portion. Paul never uses this term, this double honor Um that they should be respected and paid well. It's a double honor that he never uses this again in any other letter. And so it's a double honor that we pay this to them because it's important. They've done a good work uh, and they should be honored for that. And we have to remember that just as we are to honor our pastors, our pastors are also to be honorable to their congregation. They can't, they, we can't give uh, without them giving as well. So it has to be a mutual relationship Um, They have to not earn our respect, but they have to have respect, and they have to be respectful of themselves. And so they're going to be working hard to do that. He also goes on in the next, in the next, uh, in 19, do not listen to an accusation against an elder unless it is confirmed, confirmed by two or three witnesses. So he's talking here, listen, we all know it, right? Pastors are public figures in the church, and there's, oftentimes going to be accusations made against him. Um, it may just be a willful uh, grudge against somebody. It may be that somebody was in a hard place and, and their heart was hurt by something that a pastor said either intentionally or unintentionally. Um, but regardless, they're in a public position. And so there are going to have be times when people bring accusations against them that are completely false. Um, So Paul is careful here to say that, listen, these accusations must be witnessed by two or three witnesses. This is what would hold up in a court of law at the time. And this is what needs to hold up within ours to keep the uh, church standard going in the public sphere. And it was the best for all because he wanted to make sure that what if we, what if one person comes forward and says that a pastor did X, Y, Z, And then months later, we find out that that person made a false accusation and didn't do X, Y, Z. Well, the pastor had been brought down and the church had been publicly, uh, you know, made into the public about what this happened. And then it really sets a bad tone for the church, that church and the big church um, at large. And so we need to be careful just as in any other thing. We need to make sure that this is has witnesses, that is investigated, that is taken to the Lord in prayer, um, that is filtered through the Holy Spirit, all of these things. And then if there is something where um, a pastor has been found in egregious sin, um, in something he doesn't outline specifically what this sin is, um, he says here, that those who should those who sin should be reprimanded in front of the whole church this will serve as a strong warning to others so he doesn't list out all the sins here right but these are egregious sins something that that are standard no-nos and and if a pastor does do that well they should be publicly rep- reprimanded in front of the church. And just like Paul talks about in his letters too, uh, other letters, he talks about how congregants, if they do something, if they're living sinfully, they should also be publicly called out. And it's done, it's done for a couple reasons. It really proves a witness to truth, and it also sends a strong warning to all of us against sin. I mean, really, if, if you're up there and a pastor just refuses to acknowledge their sin, the church needs to call them out on it sometimes. One, it's for their good. You know, Paul talked about in one of his letters, he talked about how, or in, in Acts, he talks about how one of the congregants, he would actually giving him to Satan, giving him back to the world um, so that Satan could have his way. And sometimes that's a moment of repentance for us when we need to come back and say, okay, I repent. But it needs to be a warning to all of us against sin that, I mean, this passage here almost seems as if Paul, God allowed Paul to write this in and have this put into His Word as a motivating motivation by fear. When in all reality, really, it's just a, a picture of His grace. And so, if all right, if our sin gets called out, okay, well, that gives us a chance to to repent and be reconciled. And there's a picture of grace there. But if we continually allow a pastor to sin, for instance. Then we're allowing him to continue in a season of sin, and that's not right either. And so, um, and that hurts the church, that hurts the individual church and the big church. So, sin, egregious sin, is bad, and we need to call that out, and it needs to be handled accordingly. Um, he goes on uh, in verses, in verse 21, he just reminds Timothy also, just like all of us, that we need to obey the instructions that are in this in this letter and that we can't take sides or show favoritism to anyone. Sometimes we don't want to call out uh, leaders of influence. Sometimes we don't want to, to um, call out our lead volunteers because we're in need of volunteers. But he's saying here, don't show favoritism. Don't uh, take sides but do the right thing. You know what is right, you know what is wrong, and you need to do the right thing and have courage. Um, He also reminds Timothy in verse 22 to never be in a hurry about appointing a church leader, right, don't fill a position just for the sake of filling a position without actually knowing the person who's filling the position because it could get you into trouble later down the road. Um, And he also reminds Timothy again, don't share in the sins of others and keep yourself pure. Um, He always reminded him like a good father would, you know, just stay on the right track, Timothy. Keep doing it. Keep pushing forward. Do the right thing. Um, You're going to see a lot of stuff in this ministry, in in these churches. You're going to see a lot of sin. You're going to see a lot of people doing things really well. And you're going to see a lot of people doing things really wrong. But I want you to stay on the right track because I love you this much. This is what Paul's telling Timothy. And this is really what God tells each one of us, that we need to stay on the right track. We see sin, but that doesn't mean we need to commit sin. Um, And then he goes on, and it's a little strange, but in verse 23, he talks about Timothy not only drinking water, but to drink a little wine for the sake of your stomach because you're sick so often. There could be a couple reasons here. One, we know that Timothy is a little bit timid, so maybe he had a timid stomach, and this wine was medicinal, and maybe that helped ease his stomach, kind of like a Pepto-Bismol is today. Um, And you can imagine, if he's timid, Paul's giving him all this direction to have to address conflict. And if you are like me, I hate conflict. I I really... I, I. I see conflict and I see issues, but I mean, when it gets down to the nitty gritty, I really don't like to, to address conflict and conflict resolution is not a strong point for me. And um, I'm good at writing letters to people, um, but to have to sit in a meeting with someone, that's really hard for me. And so this could have been Timothy, it could have been his little timid, shy stomach and Paul's like, listen, drink a little bit of wine with your water so you can have some medicine um, for that stomach to calm you down because you're gonna hurt your health. Um, he could have also been saying because Timothy was keeping himself so pure, he wasn't giving himself to wine at all, and. Uh some say, historians say that the water back then was so bad that they would actually put wine in it uh, to help with the bacteria in the water to kind of purify the water, and that if you're just drinking straight water, it might not have been pure water, and there could have been bacteria in there, and that actually could have been hurting his stomach. And so Timothy could have been, I mean, Paul could have been giving Timothy permission here to, listen, buddy, you don't have to be so strict in your purity. Um, do this because it's hurting your health. Um. You know he had a he had a stomach problem just like paul had a thorn i mean this wasn't taken away from timothy what i like about it is that we see people with weaknesses all the time doing great things for the kingdom and this just reminds me that we're all able to be used by god mightily um and then in the last verses and verses 24 to 25 he really just graciously reminds timothy that listen some sins are going to be evident right away some people are going to be called out for their sins right away Other people, their sins are never gonna be called out or they may take years to be called out. He also says the same thing about the things that good people do. Some people do good things over and over and over and they get accolades over and over and over. Some people do great things and they never receive accolades. Uh, They never receive public praise. Um, But it doesn't matter, right? It'll all come to light one day in light of God's judgment, in, in light of God's well done, good and faithful servant. So we shouldn't focus on sins of others, uh, whether or not they're going to get caught, whether or not they're going to be in trouble, um, whether or not why are they allowed to continue to do sin when I'm called to be pure, or why, is, why am I doing all this good if I'm never getting noticed? And, and stop worrying about that. What we need to worry about, Paul's saying, is the gospel. Do your job. It's not for us to judge. It's not for us to uh, get the praises of man, but that we should do things that please people. And that should be our focus. So I hope as you go back and read through. Um chapter 5, and you can look at my notes. Like I said, they're always up on sandalfeet.org, um, books and Bible studies, and there's a section under there for First Timothy. Uh, you can watch this back live at any time um, on Facebook Live. Share it with your friends. And you can also listen to the podcast, which is usually up by this afternoon, maybe sometime tomorrow. You can listen to that uh, in your car while you're working out, whatever you're doing, and um, and share that and talk about it. But I, like I said in the beginning, I think these are great tools for us to... Always remember on how to treat people to treat people in our church who are without our widows and how to respect and honor our our pastors um, and how to if you are a pastor how to be a respectful pastor how to be a respectful leader how to not earn the praises of man but to earn their respect by doing the work that God has called you to do well um, in stewarding your calling well and then just to remember always to share the gospel, um, that you should be clothed and wrapped in the gospel every single day, and that'll help you live out your life within the body of Christ and outside in the big world. So thanks for joining in today, and we'll see you next Thursday at noon.